And speaking about the dates on the communion, there's actually five Sundays in this month. Uh, so two weeks from the now would be the third Sunday and would be the 17th, correct? So um, tentatively speaking, we'll push it off two weeks to the third Sunday, the, not the fourth, the third Sunday, which would be the 17th. Okay. If we run into another snag, we'll just adjust. <laughs> That's the way we'll look at it right now. Okay. Thank you, Brother John. Um, let's take a look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3 to begin with this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, this first verse might be just a daily report in the life of Christ. Christ, every single day, went throughout the land teaching and preaching things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In addition to that, of course, we know that he went about healing. He would open up the eyes of the blind and give hearing to the deaf. He would enable the lame to walk. He would cleanse the lepers from their leprosy. He would raise some from the dead. That was uh, what Jesus did every, every single day, all the way up to he went to Calvary. But we notice in verses 2 and 3 that certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Women are brought to our attention here, a certain group of women. And what they had in common was they had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And one of them's name was Mary Magdalene. And then we find the name of Joanna and Susanna, and it says, and many others. We don't know how many, many, many others were, but it sounds like a lot. That Jesus had healed them of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, Mary Magdalene's infirmity is specifically given to us the fact that seven devils was cast out of Mary Magdalene. The number seven, as you should know, is a number of completion, a number of perfection in the Bible. The very fact it says that seven devils were cast out of her would tell me that her case perhaps was the most severe of all that's under consideration right here. She had seven devils cast out of her. She's known as Mary Magdalene. Now there's several Marys in the New Testament. And we have Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Uh, and there was mother, the, uh, Mary, the mother of Mark, that we read over in Acts chapter 12. So Mary Magdalene is separated from the other Marys by her name, Mary Magdalene. Now, there was a town on the west side of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. So this tells me this is where she was from. Like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised up in Nazareth. So therefore, when you read the name Jesus, oftentimes in the four Gospels and the book of Acts, never after the book of Acts, by the way, but through the book of Acts, first five books of the New Testament, he's referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. That identified him. He was not the only one living in that day whose name was, was Jesus. But he was the only one that was from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a city that was not very highly thought of in the day of Christ. We know that in John's Gospel, chapter 1, 
when Philip comes to Nathanael, he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael replied, he says, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Why would Nathanael say that? Because the reputation of this city, it was again a city not uh, well thought of, it was looked down upon. But that's the city that Jesus grew up in. Well, the town of Magdala was known for its um, harlotry. And the city was eventually destroyed, according to history, as a result of that. And here, Mary Magdalene is from that city, that town. And because of that, unfortunately, uh, we find where this image of Mary Magdalene has been put on her down throughout history, but there's not one shred of evidence, not one, that Mary Magdalene was ever involved in the practice, again, that I just mentioned. She certainly was not a harlot. What the Bible tells us is she had seven devils. And the Lord cast those devils out of her. Somewhere along the line they met. Somewhere along the line he saw this woman in this pitiful condition that she was in. She was under demonic control. Uh, these devils dominated her life. You could see it, no doubt, in her physically. You could see it in her countenance. You could see it in her you know, uh, in her behavior. Uh, people who have that type of situation are in bad shape. And she was in very bad shape, but the Lord in his mercy and his grace and by his power cast those seven devils out of Mary. And so she's known as Mary Magdalene. You can distinguish her and separate her from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus from this expression. See, in that day, people only had one name. They didn't have two names like you have today. That only came into existence around a thousand years A.D., about a thousand years down the road from this. But people had other uh, words attached to their name so you could separate one from another because there was a lot of Jameses, there was a lot of Simons, uh, a lot of Marys, several Josephs that we find recorded in the Scripture. But there's something about every single one of them is attached to their name to separate them and distinguish them from somebody else. So here we have a group of women. And what these women have in common here is the fact that they all had some type of infirmity. They all had some type of evil spirit or devils that they'd been healed of. The Lord Jesus Christ had cast them out. The Lord never failed anything that he purposed to do. The Lord was always 100% successful and victorious. How did these women respond? They had thankful hearts. They were grateful. And they began to minister unto the Lord Jesus Christ the things of their substance. Now, the word substance, interesting word, the bottom line or summary, you might say, of the word substance, that simply means it's the sum of whatever you possess. It's a sum of your possessions. Those possessions can be money, it can be goods, it can be property. That's usually the three main categories that make up our substance. If you own a house, that's property. If you own some land, that's property. If you have money in the bank, that's money. If you have food in the freezer and in the pantry and clothes in the closet, uh, those are goods. That's what you have. That's substance. You find this prophecy that the Lord gave unto Abraham found in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. The Lord tells Abraham... He says, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be, in a strange, shall be a strange in a land that is not theirs. And there shall, they shall have great affliction. He says, But I will judge that nation. He's talking about the land of Egypt now. 
and they shall come out with great substance. Now, while they were in Egypt, they had nothing. They had enough provided for them for them to continue to live and exist because they labored hard under a cruel taskmaster, uh, you know, in Pharaoh. But miraculously, when they came out of the land of Egypt, when he finally, at the last time, said, leave, they didn't leave empty-handed. God put it in the hearts of the Egyptians to give them gold and other things, and they came out not with just some substance. They came out with great substance. They came out with great possessions. It's the only way they could have had it. The Lord just simply moved in their hearts, uh, hearts of the Egyptians to hand it over, so to speak. And they did when they left the land of Egypt. We find many, many years later, a man named Joseph uh, was sold into slavery down the land of Egypt. But through the miraculous providence of God, we find, and this is expressed in Psalms 105, how that God had made him the governor of the land. And we find where Pharaoh put him in charge of all his substance. That word substance, the middle reference to your Bible, means possessions. Joseph in charge of all the possessions of Pharaoh. So that word means everything that you own, all your possessions, substance. And they ministered unto the Lord Jesus Christ of their substance, whatever it was, of their substance, they ministered unto Christ. When it says unto Christ, remember it says that his disciples were with him, he had to include them as well. There is no record in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ or his disciples, once Christ began his ministry, ever obtained money through secular activities. Jesus Christ was raised in the household of a carpenter. His father, his, uh, you might say his legal father, Joseph, the husband of Mary, was a carpenter. And no doubt, he trained Jesus as Jesus was growing up in that trade. I'm sure Jesus knew how to use a hammer and nails. He knew how to build things, etc. No record where he ever did that. And of the disciples, there were those who were fishermen. And those fishermen, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, they fished for a living. No record where they ever fished for a living after the Lord Jesus Christ called them away and told them to come be ye followers of me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So somehow or another, Christ and those disciples lived. If you look over in the book of Matthew chapter 10, the opening verses, the Lord tells his 12 apostles where to go and where not to go. He tells them, he says, go not your way in the way of the Gentiles, the way of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were not at liberty to go just anywhere and everywhere. At that time, they were directed to go just among the Jewish people. And he says, as you go, preach the good tidings of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It says, ye shall heal the sick, ye shall raise the dead, ye shall cleanse the lepers. Notice the things that they were to do here, and you're to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he tells them what not to take. He says, do not take gold and silver and brass for your purses. Do not take a script. The word script means a bag that would hold... Uh, you know, whatever you needed to have in it that was meaningful to you. Do not take that. It says, neither two coats nor shoes or stay, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now, they're going to go out preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on the words of the Savior that they're not to take gold, silver, and brass in their purses. Neither shoes nor stays or two coats. These are things you consider to be necessities. 
that you would have to have. How are they going to be provided for? The Lord said the workman is worthy of his meat. That's the principle of the New Testament. So servants of God have been doing that down through the ages. In the book of John chapter 12, we find where the Lord is in the household of Lazarus. This is after he raised Lazarus from the grave, from death. And we find where Martha has provided a, a meal like we read about in the Gospel of Luke. This time there's more people on this occasion than it was on the first occasion. The first occasion it was just her and Mary and Lazarus and Jesus. And of course at that time she was a little upset that Mary was not helping her out. <laughs> Women do like a little help in the kitchen sometimes. Now my mother and daddy, that wasn't the case. My mother said, dad, out. <laughs> just not room enough for both of us in here. But anyway, she wanted a little help. But when we come over here to John chapter 20, she's not saying anything like that. And she's preparing for more people, far more people here than she was back in the Gospel of Luke. But we find where her sister Mary came and she broke a box of precious ointment and anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one of those 12 disciples named Judas Iscariot who objected. He said, why was this not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Keep reading. He said, not that he cared for the poor because he was a thief and he bare the bag of those things that were put into it. Now, Jesus, those apostles had to live and Judas kept the bag. Things were put into the bag and Judas, the implication is very strong, would take things out secretly. He was a thief. When he saw this ointment was broken and anointed, uh, used to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't happy about that. He said it could be sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. He was not interested in the poor. He was interested in himself. He was a traitor. He was a thief. Judas Iscariot, a betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find here a picture of how they were taken care of. There were people just like this, and he, these are women, and these women have had God's power exercised over them to cast out unclean spirits, evil spirits, devils, and their infirmities had been healed. We have three names, Joanna, Susanna, Mary Magdalene, but we notice each and every time, with one exception, when there are several women listed where Mary Magdalene's among them, among them she's always listed first. I want to think a little bit about Mary Magdalene here this morning. She's always listed first. She, along with the other sisters, ministered of their substance to the Lord Jesus Christ. I read over here in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, where Timothy uh, is addressed, of course, by Paul and reminded about a man by the name of Onesimus. Well, let's just go over and read it. Onesimus. And notice what it says here about this man. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Throughout biblical history and church history, in my own personal experience, I found that most everywhere I've been and where I've gone, there's always been a few, always been somebody that would fit the description of this man right here. What did this man do? Paul said, he oft, that means oftentimes refreshed me. That word refresh sometimes has reference to the body, sometimes to the spirit, sometimes to the soul. 
I need to be refreshed. You need to be refreshed every single day. That's why you eat three times a day. That's why you drink water and other things throughout the day because you become tired, you become hungry, you become thirsty, you need to be refreshed. So you stop somewhere or do whatever is necessary and you eat something and you drink something and your body is refreshed, it's re the energy is restored so you continue your day daily activities, correct? But while people in general are very, very conscious about need to be refreshed physically, somehow they neglect the soul. My soul needs to be refreshed. My spirit needs to be refreshed. The Lord's people for the last year and a half have needed to have their souls refreshed and given what they stood in need of, they might be revived as a result of the things that we've been facing and experiencing again for over a year and a half, right? But I want to tell you something. Before this year and a half started, I always still need to have my soul refreshed. It just didn't start a year and a half ago. I'll tell you that now. Uh, before COVID, there was something else. And after COVID's been gone, there's going to be something else. There's always something out here that can cause you to get all cast down in your soul and, and weakened. And you might say to a state of fainting, and you need to be refreshed. Let me just ask you something. When you got ready to come to church here this morning, and you drove here, and you got out of your car, and got out and walked in the building, and you saw the first brother or sister here in this church, how did you feel? Did you feel a little bit better already? Well, I certainly did, and always do. As soon as I get here and begin to see the brothers and the sisters, it does something for my heart, it does something for my soul and my spirit. Just that alone is worth being here if we didn't do anything else. <laughs> it's just... Wonderful to be refreshed in the Spirit. And then when we sing the hymns of adoration and praise to God, should not you, your spirit continue to be refreshed? And then when you hear the prayers that's offered unto the God of glory, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then if the Lord blesses the gospel to be preached, that's why Proverbs 25, 25 says, as cold waters are to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. When you're thirsty... I mean really thirsty, and someone gives you a cup of cold water, doesn't that pick you up from a physical point of view? He said that's what the, the gospel's all about. It's what the good news and glad tidings of the gospel is about. It refreshes us inwardly so that we can face the challenge of life for another day. These people here were ministering to the Lord of their acceptance. Here's a man that was looking out for Paul, but continue listening to what he says. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. <laughs> this man loved Paul. This man wanted to check on Paul. This man wanted to help Paul. He says he was not ashamed of my chains. See, Paul was in chains when he wrote this book. He was a prisoner in Rome. The Lord granted him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. He says, this man, Timothy, has ministered me in many things. He oftentimes refreshed me. He sought me out. He was not ashamed of my chains. He was not ashamed of me being a prisoner. He sought me out very diligently to continue to minister me. He says, may the Lord's mercy be upon his house. Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He is a man very merciful. He shows that. And Paul here says the Lord will reward him with mercy. He used that word mercy two different times here. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, 
There's a story here of a woman whose name is not given to us. She's just referred to as a great woman. She was great for a number of reasons. But there was a man, a prophet in that day, by the name of Elisha. And when Elisha came traveling on his journey, when Elisha came traveling wherever he was going, he would stop by this woman's house. This woman had a husband there. He would stop by and they would visit concerning the God of heaven, the God of the Jewish people, the God of Israel, the true and living God. We find this woman then tells her husband after a while, she says, I perceive that this is a man of God. Elisha is a man of God. She could tell he was a man of God. She said, let us build a, a little room on, onto our current dwelling for him. She, she didn't have to do that, but she wanted to do that. She wanted to go another extra mile, beyond the call of duty, you might say. Just like this man here, he diligently sought out Paul. He was in Rome. He wasn't there just uh, on a sightseeing trip and vacation. We find he was in Rome as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew Paul was there and Paul was a prisoner. And he sought out Paul very diligently. He put uh, great effort into this. This woman here confers with her husband. He agrees. They build a room on to the house. In the room, there's a candlestick. In the room, there's a chair. There's a bed and there's a table. All the things you stand in need of to set up housekeeping, right? <laughs> I know one person asked one time, said, Brother Lawrence, what do all those things mean? Everybody wants to make something a type, you know, in the Old Testament. In fact, it's been said that if you read about a rabbit over there, somebody say, well, one ear was for law and one ear is for grace. <laughs> People can get really carried away. Uh, but anyway, I say, well, to me, a table something you sit down to eat at, a chair something you sit on, a bed something you lay down on, a candle something you see by. That's all I see in it. <laughs> I just see accommodations being provided by this woman, accommodations being provided by her and for him because she wanted to do a little bit extra. She had the means to do it, and she did it. In the book of Proverbs chapter 3, I always encourage everybody to memorize verses 5 and 6 where Solomon, the wise man, said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Uh, everybody here should memorize that. It's a lot easier to memorize than it is to apply. I will assure you that, but it, if it's in there, it can be applied as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Oftentimes those things are opposites. All right? And then he comes down, though, to verse, verses 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. And thy barn shall be filled with plenty, and thy wine precious shall uh, burst out with new wine. What's that a picture to you, uh, to you here this morning? I'll tell you what uh, it was a picture to the Jews of. It was a picture of prosperity and fruitfulness. The Lord said, honor me with thy substance. Remember, the definition of substance is uh, whatever your possessions are. It's your property. It's your money. Uh, it's your goods. Uh, there was this lady in North Carolina many years ago. Uh, she uh, had no husband. Uh, she was blessed to have a little remnant shop. And we'd go by to see her every once in a while, and she'd always want to give us a gift. And she never had any money to give. What money she had had to be used to, to restock and all. I mean, she was just trying to make ends meet, but she wouldn't let us go without something. And she'd give us something out of that shop. It might be a spool of thread. It might be a pattern for sewing. It was something in there, but she wanted to give us something before we left there. That was her substance. 
as little as it was. That was her substance. See, she wanted to share with us something of her substance. So Solomon says, honor the Lord with thy substance, whatever it is, little or much. You honor the Lord with that substance. And the first fruits of you increase. He says, in our barns, here's the promise of God, your barns will be filled with plenty. There'll be, your barns won't be empty. They'll be filled with plenty. And your wine precious, they shall meet, you know, uh, shall burst <laughs> with new wine. The Lord just simply saying, you honor me with your substance, I'll honor you. Now, you honor me, I'll take care of you. Uh, you know, always under the threat of Social Security running out. I've never had any doubt about that. <laughs> I just try to, you know, hope it'll hold out a while longer. <laughs> Social security. Can you imagine using a word like that? Here's your, your security. How secure do you feel with Social security? Do you feel sec- secure or insecure? I feel real insecure. Anything the government has to do with my life makes me feel insecure. Here's the security we need to understand that God provides for us. Notice in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Read above there, and he talks about, uh, you know, consider the, the fowls of the air, how they sow not, how they reap not, how they gather not. Yet God takes care of them, and God feeds them. and says, look at the lilies of the field, how they toil not and spin not. Solomon, all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. God has clothed the grass of the field. He's clothed the lilies. And God has fed the sparrows. He's fed the fowls of the air. He has taken care of them. He says, how much more, uh, if he takes care of the fowls of the air and, and the lilies of the field, how much more do you think he'll take care of you? The very one that says, the hairs of your head are numbered, and a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the knowledge of God. He loves you to that extent that he knows exactly the number of hair on your head any given day, and it's never one in the same. <laughs> it changes daily. In fact, uh, I think mine changes four or five times daily. Uh, you know, <laughs> over time, it's going to change. My boys look at me and say, uh-oh, there's one more thing we're going to inherit. <laughs> Lack of hair. Uh, <laughs> the Lord is your security. Never forget that. He's your security. You can depend upon the Lord. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The Lord has promised to be with you in the sixth troubles. In the seventh trouble, no evil shall touch you. The Lord's going to bring you into heaven some sweet day, and he'll take care of you here. You honor me. He says, I'll honor you. You seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. I'll see to you fed. I'll see to it you're clothed. I'm taking care of the lilies. I'm taking care of the fowls. And you mean a lot more to me than that. You see, you're a lot more important. God created everything. He created the animals and he created human beings. And you, as God's children, are more valuable than anything that he created. We're living in such a crazy world. I mean crazy with several explanation points out to the side of it. I was just told a couple of days ago that they have a pet retirement center over here in Mount Juliet. Yeah. You got a dog, you got a cat, you got a pet. And they've got a little age on them and they're walking around with a little arthritis and everything else. You can go over there and, and check them in. Pet Retirement Center for... <laughs> Unbelievable. People call it sweet things better and better things sweet. Call it light, darkness and darkness light. Crazy, crazy world in which we're living here. 
Anyway, let's get back to our text. Mary Magdalene and other, many others, it said, ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. If they ministered to him, they ministered also to those 12 disciples that travel with him on a daily basis. They ministered him of their substance. Now begin to look at Mary Magdalene's life and see how she was blessed of God is quite amazing. First of all, we find out where she's from. She's had to bear the stigma of that throughout the ages. Not one shred of evidence to indicate that she was ever involved in any of those things that city was known for. She had seven devils, and God in his power cast those seven devils out of her. What did she do? She immediately left Magdala and began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his journeys. She and Susanna and Hosanna and Joanna, rather, we find they followed along, and they must have been women of, sub, of substance somehow or another. And they continuously ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that mentioned to us again over here at the cross. So we come over here and look at the last part of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll find when the Lord Jesus Christ went through that mock trial, when the Lord Jesus Christ was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, went through the mock trial, led to Calvary, these women were still following him. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, you'll find where it says, And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and women that were there, they stood afar off. They were beholding the scene. They watched him take the Lord Jesus Christ. They watched him observe the mock trial. They watched him as took Jesus up Calvary. They saw that from a distance. As close as, I'm sure they got as close as they could possibly get that they would be allowed, and they viewed these things afar off. Mary's name is mentioned first. I told you, I think, I don't know if I went through that, but there's one time when she's not mentioned first, and that's later on when they're close to the cross. You're going to find where there's Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and another Mary, and Mary Magdalene. There were three Marys at the cross. Her name is mentioned last here, and I think rightfully so. It would not have been right not to have Mary, the mother of Jesus, mentioned first. So she's mentioned last here. Every time else when there's she with a group of other ones, she's always mentioned first, which indicates to me, just like the apostles, when you read a list of the apostles, those 12 apostles, sometimes the list will not read exactly the same from top to bottom, but one thing all lists have in it is the apostle Peter is always mentioned first. He's always mentioned first. And so Mary Magdalene is always mentioned first when she's mentioned with other women with that one exception that I just gave you there. So they behold afar off. Mary Magdalene witnesses the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. She witnesses trial. She witnesses crucifixion. And then we find these women beholding what's going to happen after he's nailed to the cross. And they witness a man by the name of Joseph Arimathea, a rich man. Generally speaking, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of Jesus were poor men. Very poor men. And throughout the history of Christianity, the history of the Lord's church, it's been occupied far more by the poor than it has been by the wealthy. But sometimes God uses somebody like Joseph Arimathea. Joseph Arimathea, Arimathea we're told, was a counselor. He was a just man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which means he was a disciple. But he was a disciple that had not really come out into the public following the Lord Jesus Christ. By all indications, he was a member of what we call the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council was a ruling, governing body of the Jewish leaders, religious leaders of that day. 
Gamal is the most famous one of all. You'll find him mentioned in the book of Acts. So we find Joseph Arimathea believed that Jesus was the Christ, but he, due to no doubt being part of the Sanhedrin council, didn't come out and be a true follower until this particular time. But he, this time is important. Somebody's got to take care of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes there become, there become those there to claim the bodies of loved ones. They wouldn't let them have them unless they had money to pay for it. This man here, he goes to Pilate and he begs the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he begged the body of the Savior. And Pilate inquired as to whether he was already dead. When he got the news he was dead, he was somewhat surprised because he hadn't been on the cross long enough to die. Pilate had sent out a command for the soldiers to go and break the legs of the thieves to bring about a swifter death. And those, those soldiers went out there. They did something they were told not to do. And there was something they did that they were not instructed to do. They were told to break the legs of all three thieves, excuse me, all three men on the, uh, that was crucified, the two thieves and Christ in the center. When they came to Christ, he was already dead. That's important. How was he already dead? The two thieves were not. They broke the legs of two thieves. Jesus Christ was already dead. He was dead because he laid his life down. John 10, 17 and 18, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I got power to lay down my life. I got power to, to take it again. No man take it from me. He was dead because he laid down his life. He cried out, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then they pierced the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, which they were not told to do that. Had they not done it, the scriptures would have been broken because the prophets had said a sword would pierce his side, and it took place. Those soldiers did it. What moved them to do it? God moved them to do it. They wouldn't have done it otherwise. They were not instructed to do that. But also the scripture says, not a bone in his body shall be broken. If they had broke a bone, the legs of the Lord Jesus Christ, that scripture would not have been fulfilled, and the scriptures would have been broken. But the scriptures were not broken. The scriptures were fulfilled. The soldiers did not break his legs. But the soldiers did pierce his side. Mary Magdalene and a few others witnessed all of this. They saw all of this. Let's trace her steps. She comes up in Magdala. She has seven devils. Somewhere along the line, see, that's just below Capernaum. Capernaum was a city that you might say Christ uh, pretty much made his home base. Not far away. Somewhere along the line, there's some interaction. She's got the seven devils. She's in pitiful shape. She's in bad shape. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy, by his sovereign power and grace, touches her body and drives those seven devils out. He cast them out of her. And as a result of that, she became an instant follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's something we all have in common. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It takes a stroke of God's amazing grace to drive that evil <laughs> spirits out of us, you might say. It takes the grace of God, the power of God to do that. And when he does that, what should be our response? Should we not become an immediate follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Should we not uh, feel like we owe much and therefore we should love much and we should minister much and we should care much for the Savior? That's exactly the attitude here of Mary Magdalene from the time those devils were cast out. She became a follower, a devoted follower of the Savior. Wherever he went, she went. And we find that Susanna went. We find that Joanna went. And many others. And they were constantly ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles of their substance. That reflected their love, did it not? 
I know I mentioned this to you before in, in times past, but I remember many, many years ago, uh, my dad and I were talking this uh, back when I was a real young man. And we were talking <laughs> to this brother who had never joined the church, never had been baptized. He went to the Primitive Baptist Church on a regular basis. His father was a minister. His grandfather had been a minister. His brother was a minister, but he had never joined. And he told us in that conversation, made the statement, nobody loves the Lord any more than he does. And when he left, I looked at my dad and I said, I want to ask you a question. And what is he? I said, you and I are members. We've been baptized. We're members. We're in the house, household of faith. We're in the household of God. We're members. We've identified the Lord in Jesus Christ. This man's never enjoyed. And he's telling me he loves the Lord as much as I do. No, he didn't. The Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And baptism is not a strong suggestion. Baptism, a profession of faith in baptism, is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an ordinance of the church. There was no doubt in Mary Magdalene's life who she loved, who she was following. She loved the Savior for what the Savior did for her. She knew the difference in her life. She knew how her life was when she had those seven devils in her. She knew how frail, how weak, how terrible she felt, the demonic influence she was under. And she had the contrast of, that now, of now being liberated from that. They had the contrast of all that being cast out of her. And she loved the Lord and she ministered to the Lord of her substance and she followed him. There's about 80 to 100 miles from Galilee, from Badala, that little city uh, on the side of the Sea of Galilee, about 80 to 100 miles from there to Jerusalem. She didn't catch a cab. She didn't catch a Uber. A Huber, whatever it is. Anyway, she didn't catch anything like that. She didn't catch a plane, didn't catch a train. She no doubt walked those 80 to 100 miles from that town she was raised in to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and help him along the journey to minister unto him and those that was traveling with him. And she went all the way to Calvary. She watched him go through the trial. She watched him be crucified. And then she and the others there watched Joseph Arimathea get back to him, beg the body of the Lord and Jesus Christ and Pilate. And finally Pilate gave the command to give him the body. And he takes the body down. And they watch how he puts it into his own sepulcher, his own new tomb he had uh, uh, hewed out of the rock there where he planned to be buried himself one day. And the Bible specifically tells us in Mark's gospel where never man lay. Also in John's gospel, we find Jesus spoken away where he says, never man spake like this man. He rode on upon an ass, a colt, a foal of ass in Jerusalem upon a, an animal. The Bible says, never man rode on. Jesus did a lot of things never man did before. He's laid in that grave. They said they watched how he was laid. They witnessed all of that. And then a great stone was rolled to the mouth of the sepulcher. The Bible says they went and left to prepare spices for the burial. But they asked the question. Mark chapter 16, they asked the question, who shall roll away the stone? When they got there, the stone was rolled away. How many times have you hesitated? I've hesitated. How many times have I balked? How many times have I just slowed down? How many times have I just stopped in doing something I knew I ought to do because I saw some obstacle in the way? and couldn't understand how it'd be removed instead of walking by faith and believing that God would remove it. They said, who shall roll the stone away? It was a great stone, a large stone, a heavy stone. Those women didn't have the power to roll it away. But guess what? When they got there, the stone had been rolled away. 
the stone had been rolled away. How many times has God rolled a stone out of your path? How many times has God rolled a, a stone out of, your, uh, out of your life that represent, presented a great roadblock, a hurdle to you, but by faith you just believe that God would make a way uh, uh, for you somehow, some way, and when you got there, he took you right through it. It's like those Israelites when they crossed Jordan's river to go into the land of Canaan. How are we going to get on to the other side? The Lord gave them a command. He said, uh, the feet of the priest should touch the, the water. And when the feet of the priest touched the water, the waters divided. It didn't divide till the pre feet of the priest touched the water. It required them taking a step of faith, putting their feet in the water. And when it did, it opened up, it divided. And God brought them across dry shot to the other side. That's what a walk of faith does. They watched all of that. Mary witnessed all of that. And then the Bible tells us, Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, 1. On the first day of the week, early in the day, Mary Magdalene comes to where Jesus had been buried, to that sepulcher, to that tomb. She found the rock rolled away. She found an empty tomb. She ran and she told Peter and John about it. And Peter and John run to the tomb. Apparently she went back with them. She went back with them there and we know how they got there and John gets there first but here comes Peter and Peter just blows right by him, goes right into the sepulchre to view the scene and then John goes in and they come out. Then the Bible says they all went back to their home but Mary stayed. Mary was the last one to leave the scene when he was buried. She's the first one back on the scene on the first day of the week. She goes back and she's weeping. The angel is there. And she's concerned at where they may have laid him. Three different times in that chapter we find where it says she was concerned at where they had laid him. The angel says, why seek you the living among the dead? Come see the place where the Lord lay. Uh, he has been here. You saw him. They witnessed uh, when uh, uh, Joseph took him down from the cross and he had the help of Nicodemus and they wound him up in linen and, and they put him in there. They saw how he was laid and they were going to come back with the perfumes and the different things and they were going to embalm him. But there'd be no need to do that if he's only going to be in there three days. No need for that. When they got there, the stone was rolled away, but there was an angel sitting there. Ask the question, why seek you the living among the dead? You want to find something, you've got to look where it's at. Right now, we're looking for my truck keys. We'll find them. You know how we're going to find them? It's actually Karen's truck keys. You know how we're going to finally find Karen's truck keys? We're going to lose something else. And while we're looking for something else, we'll find the truck keys. That's the way it usually works. Anyway, while she's there, somebody comes up behind him, behind her, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she asks him, says, if you'll tell me where they took him, where they have laid him, I'll come and take his body. I don't know what Mary thought she was going to do with it. But nevertheless, then the Lord spoke to her and he said the word Mary, that old familiar voice came back to her. <laughs> She'd heard that voice so many times during her travels with him, no doubt. 
when he cast out the seven devils, she'd heard that, that voice. Uh, and she'd heard him preach the gospel. She'd heard him teach the things of the kingdom of God. That old familiar voice. You know, I love that old familiar voice sometimes, don't you? A voice you recognize, a voice that's meant something to you over, over a time in your life. A voice that somebody that's been kind to you and good to you and, and, and you know, gracious to you, has done all kind of things for you. Maybe you hadn't seen them for a while, heard them for a while, and then one day you hear that old familiar voice. She heard a voice that was meaningful to her. And when he said, Mary, she cried out, rub on Let me tell you what the Lord did for Mary, how he honored Mary's life. You're going to find that Mary witnessed his suffering. She witnessed his crucifixion. She witnessed, she's the first one to the tomb on that day. She witnessed his resurrection. She's the first one to see him after his resurrection. She hears his voice for the first time. She's the first to hear the voice of the resurrected Christ. First one. And then the Lord is going to give her a mission. You know, she's so excited about it. The Lord said, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascending unto my Father. Oh, he's going to ascend 40 days later. But right now is not the time for that. Touch me not. But I want you to go and tell my brethren. Notice he didn't say go and tell my disciples. He said, go and tell my brethren. That shows a relationship he had with his disciples. They were brothers together. Can you imagine that Lord calling you a brother? And you can call the Lord a brother? Well, you can. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things to make the captain their salvation perfect through sufferings to bring many sons into glory. For both he that is sanctified and those who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. You know why the Lord's not ashamed to call you a brother and call you brother? Because you're all of one. He's a sanctifier. He sanctifies you. He sets you apart. You're all of one. He's not ashamed to call you brother. He says, therefore, I will sing unto the Lord in the midst of the church, in the midst of my brethren. He uses the word, word brother twice there. And that's why we call each other brother and sister in Christ. In Christ, there's no such thing as female and male, no such thing as bond and free or Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And therefore, we have a relationship that, is, that supersedes the natural relationship you have here in this world. This woman is honored, and the Lord says, You go and tell my brother, I'm not yet ascended to my God and your God and my Father and your Father. And she went and did just that. And here's the last time we read about Mary Magdalene is there in John chapter 20, verse 18. And when she got to the brother, she says, I have seen the Lord. That's the first words out of her mouth. I've seen the Lord. She's the first one to witness the, the empty tomb. She's the first one to hear the, the words of a risen Savior. She's the first one to behold him. She's the first one to, to be the herald, you might say, of the good news and glad tidings of a crucified but risen Savior. That's the last words. I've seen the Lord. <laughs> have you seen the Lord? If I, don't, if I hadn't seen the Lord, I ought not to be up here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I've seen the Lord through thick and thin. I've seen the Lord at night. I've seen him in the daytime. I've seen him in trials and tribulations. I've seen him in prosperity. I've seen him, my friends, on the mountain. I've seen him in the valley. Wherever you go, my friends, you need to see the Lord. You need to see the hand of God. The caring hand, the loving hand, the providential hand, the delivering hand of Almighty God. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you can't say at the end of the day, I've seen the Lord today. You see him by an eye of faith. How about it today? Can you tell somebody that with all honesty and sincerity? I trust that you can. 
I have seen the Lord. And the Lord brought her into a closer knowledge of divine things. We mentioned her, you tell them I'm not yet ascended. My God and their God and my Father and their, their Father. It's pretty amazing to me that we actually can call upon God knowing he's our God and also the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can call upon him as our Father just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. The Lord called upon him as Father and we can do the same thing. When we pray, we pray to a creator of God. But how did the Lord say, start your prayer? He says, you pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What a beautiful sight, a beautiful scene to see Mary with those disciples and say, I have seen the Lord. This woman that had seven devils, they were cast out. She became a devout, loving follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe, she, I believe that she proved it on a regular, daily basis. Let's honor the Lord with our substance. Let's honor the Lord with our presence. You're doing the most God-honoring thing this morning you could have possibly done. You're here in the house of God. You're here in the Lord's house. You, you met here today to meet the Lord. Now, I told you when I first get here, I start feeling better just as soon as I see you. <laughs> I do. I don't just say that. I start feeling better. My spirits get lifted up. But I'm going to tell you, when I get right in the middle of the worship service... <laughs> You know, I feel, I feel really good. I don't feel just good. I feel real good. I don't feel just good. I feel extra good. How about you this morning? How good do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> said, Brother Lawrence, have you forgotten all about what's going around us? Yes, I have. For a little while this morning, I forget all the things that surround me, all the things that bother me for a little while. I'm able to forget them. And I wish I hadn't even said that because now I'm thinking about them. Let's push them aside, my friends. When you see Jesus, you won't see anything else. Oh, well, they're there. But when you see him, it ought to give you great confidence and encouragement.